I'm going to start a series of messages, Lord willing, today. I've entitled the series, At What Cost? And I ask that question because as I hear people talk today, I hear things like, you know, it really doesn't matter. If I try, it's going to happen anyhow, or what's not going to happen, or whatever. And people have a defeated attitude and act like the choices I make don't matter. What I, you know, what I decide to do doesn't affect anybody else. And a lot of very, very disturbing attitudes people have towards their decisions and towards the choices that they make in life. You and I need to understand and, and evaluate the choices that we make and understand every choice I make has consequences. And so let me give you some examples that we're going to, Lord willing, look at throughout the scriptures. You had an entire army of Israel under the leadership of King Saul who was running scared to death because of one man's threats. Now, yes, this man happened to stand 10 feet tall, but a little shepherd boy comes up and says, is there not a cause? And he says, I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to go out and I'm going to fight Goliath anyhow. And he trusted God and he won a victory that truthfully changed the course of an entire nation. I think of three Hebrew children. We call them children. They were probably grown by the time this account happened. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who said, King, it doesn't matter what you say. I would rather live with a clear conscience. I will live with a clear conscience. And if it means I must die, I'll choose death over bowing down and worshiping that false idol. That changed the heart of a king, by the way. You say, what do you mean? Well, between that and the, uh, the, the account of Nebuchadnezzar and his pride lifted up and going and being, eating grass, those two things really changed the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. Do we not see that in Daniel chapter 4? You see, our choices do have consequences. But we're going to look at one of these choices today. You see, some chose good things, even though the result was persecution. But some of the choices were bad decisions and had lasting consequences. And there's one such decision we're going to examine this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now in this series, probably every single one of these passages we're going to look at are going to be familiar passages, ones that you have heard since you were a child if you've grown up in church. But I want us to look at the decision made and the consequences of each of these decisions that have been made. You see, there's a saying, life is choices. Choices have consequences. Make right choices. A youth pastor friend of mine had this hanging on his door. And so when young people would come to him for counseling, he would remind them, life is choices. Choices have consequences. Make right choices. It's really that simple, folks. And we're going to look at the account of Genesis chapter 3 and see Adam viewed convenience greater than the consequences. Adam viewed convenience greater than the consequences. Let's go ahead and stand, please, if you are physically able. And yes, we're going to read the entire chapter 
here in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cold of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave it to me, the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Under the woman, he said, I will, put, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy, and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth of the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, a flaming sword, and turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Three points I want us to examine in this passage. First, we're going to look at the context of the account. Then secondly, I want us to observe the choice that was made. And then lastly, the consequences of that choice. You and I need to understand decisions do have consequences. So let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we look at this choice that was made and the consequences that are still lasting today because of this choice, Father, I pray that each of us would be reminded of the importance of the choices we make in life. And may we learn day by day to rely on you, to rely on your word, to make right choices. Again, Lord, 
Many here I know have made the choice to accept Christ as Savior, but if there's one who has not, I pray that today that they will. And then, Lord, I pray that each Christian make the choice to faithfully serve you with the rest of our days. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's stop and look at the context of this account. Now, we understand that this is in the Garden of Eden after God had created man. God created all things in this world. He spoke them into existence in six literal days, and he rested on the seventh as a as a way to show us that we should work six days and rest on the seventh, not that we do, unfortunately, in our society today, but that's the way God designed for us to be. But Adam was created in this state of innocence. Now, innocence does not mean ignorance. Adam was a very smart man, was he not? You see, we we adopt this worldly philosophy that, you know, ancient man was dumb. They lived in caves and walked around, hoo, hoo, hoo. Well, no, that is not true. Adam was very intelligent. You say, how do you know that? Because we find in Genesis chapter 2, God takes all the animals and brings them to Adam, and whatever Adam called the animals, that's their name. That's some serious intelligence, is it not? You see, Adam wasn't created a little baby who had to learn all these things. He was created a man, and he was created with intelligence. And also, the Bible indicates then that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the evening with God every day. Now, do you think that they were learning some things from God as they're walking with God? Absolutely, they were. As a matter of fact, as we read through the Bible, it's only a few generations that we have those working with metal mentioned and those that are doing other things. We think it took, you know, all these years. Folks, get that garbage out of your head. Man was created with intelligence but he was innocent. What does that mean? He had no knowledge of evil. He was created in this environment that God had created, this wonderful garden that was a very plush and fruitful garden, and everything was was good in this garden, and all the knowledge Adam had was from God. It was good knowledge, but he didn't know evil. He didn't know sin. Is that a bad thing? No, but it puts him in a state that we call the state of innocence, right? Now, while every one of us is born with a sin nature now, we still say a child has a innocence when they're born, right? There's things about this world that they just don't know and understand yet, right? And we would love as parents to keep that innocence for our children, wouldn't we? Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So innocence is not a ignorance, is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, we see their innocence displayed in the fact in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, it says, and they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. This was a complete innocence that man had. It's the way God created them. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 3, we have a serpent who is being controlled by Satan coming to Eve, and he says, Yea, hath God said. You see, he questions God's word. Did God really say? And so often, this is still the tactic of Satan trying to get people to question the word of God. This is what we looked at a little bit this morning in Sunday school of 
the world is still trying to question God's word. Satan's tactics have not changed. He said, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He said, you can't have anything, Eve. He said, you can't eat any tree of this garden. No, that's not what God said. But Eve then takes and she responds and says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Oh, we can eat of all these trees. But of the, tree, of the of fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Now, question, did God say, neither shall ye touch it? Well, let's look. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, but God, God speaking says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, it's a good idea for her not to touch it. But is that what God said? The answer is no. So what is she doing? She's adding to God's word. And this is another danger that I see happening way too often is people take what God said and then they add their own opinion to it and make it what God didn't say by adding to what God had said. But then she did something even worse. She changed God's word. God said, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ye shall surely die. That's a pretty dogmatic statement. But what do we see in Genesis chapter 3? Eve saying, we should not eat it, nor should we touch it, lest we die. You know, there's that chance that we could die. That's changing God's word. And folks, let me tell you something. This is a corruption we see happening all around us today of people changing the word of God to try to fit what they want it to say. It's not up to me to change the word of God. It's his holy word, and I need to preach it the way he said it. Right? because it's his word. Well, let's look at the continued conversation. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. He flat out denies God's word. He calls God a liar. As a matter of fact, then he makes an accusation against God. Verse five, for God doth know in the day ye eat thereof that your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Let me tell you something. Satan's problem is he's always wanted God's position and it's not available. So he tried to convince Adam and Eve. Then you try to get God's position. You become as gods. And he said, God is holding back from you, Eve. There's things that you don't know that God's holding back from you. And if you eat of this fruit, you're going to know those things. You're going to become as he is because you're going to know both good and evil. Now, is it true that they did not have an understanding of evil, of sin? Yes or no? Okay, so is it true then that God was, if you will, let's follow what Satan's saying here, holding back from them the knowledge of evil? But is it for their own good? Because anything God does is for our own good, right? And so Satan takes truth mixed with lies because he says, but if you know the good and evil, then you're going to be just like God. And don't you want to be just like God? You see, he's holding back from you. And you need to take charge and you need to become just like him by eating of this fruit. So what's the Bible say? When the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, in 1 John 2.16, we see that 
all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of God. And those are the three areas in which we're tempted. So Saul the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And a tree desired to make one wise, the pride of life. She wanted this wisdom. She wanted this knowledge. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her and he did eat. Now, let's talk about several things here. Eve was deceived. You say, how do you know that? 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So God said so. God said Eve was deceived. She was beguiled. She was tricked by Satan. But I want you to understand also, the scripture makes it very clear, Adam was not deceived. Adam made a deliberate choice of his will. Now, when this is taught to school, in Sunday school, we often seen, seen these pictures that has Eve alone there with the serpent. And it's just this conversation between Eve and the serpent. And Adam is out gallivanting about the garden doing whatever, right? And then Adam comes back, and then Eve offers her the fruit. Is that what the Bible says? No. Let's go again and look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave unto her husband, what's the next word? With her. And he did eat. You know what this tells me? Adam was standing right there the whole time watching this thing happen. Let me ask a question. Why did Adam not stop this conversation? Why did he say, Eve, stop talking to that serpent? Serpent, get out of here. And we still have the same problem today. Too many men not wanting to be leaders in their home. But hey, if they want to talk about the religious things in the home, talk to my wife. That's her department. Men, it's time to grow up and be men and be leaders in our homes. Adam refused to be the leader he was supposed to be. You say, well, that's just old-fashioned. Well, I'm old-fashioned enough to believe when God says that he's called the man to be the head of the home, that we men are to be the head of the home. That doesn't mean we don't listen to our wives, but let me tell you something. I have a responsibility to protect my wife, and when Satan comes to try to beguile her and to deceive her, I have a responsibility to protect her from that deception. Do I not? Yes, I do. You see, Eve never received the direct command from God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. So, how do I know that it was Adam that received the command of God and not Eve? Well, because Eve wasn't there yet. Right? So it was Adam who had the command of God, do not eat of that tree. 
He told his wife, apparently, because she knew this, but he's the one that had a direct command from God, and it was him who made a deliberate choice of his will to say, I don't care, God, what you said. I want what I want. And we still do the same thing today, don't we? Think of this. God spoke the words directly to Adam. Do not eat of that fruit, period. He had a whole garden in which he could have enjoyed. And you know what? When this conversation is happening, he should have grabbed his wife and said, honey, come on, let's look around here. Look at all this beauty that God gave us. Look at all these trees that God gave us. Look at everything here. But he with her focused on this one thing that we can't have. You and I do the exact same thing, don't we? If I were to put a red button right here to say, do not touch, and I were to leave the room and say, don't touch that, I promise you, within 30 seconds, Charlie's going to be up there pushing that red button. Amen. <laughs> and after nothing happens, Mike's right behind him. <laughs> and within 20 minutes, every one of you pushed a button. You know, you could be blowing up China and you don't know, but you're just pushing that button because you're told not to. That's the context of the account. Now let's look at this choice. And here's how I want us to evaluate the choice. You see, Adam decided his desire was more important than death. Did God not say, in the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. But what I desire is more important than death. Now, you say, wait a minute. Adam didn't die that day. Well, he didn't die physically that day. But he did die spiritually. You see that innocence that I told you about? Let's go to verse 7. The very first thing that God says, the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaf together to make themselves aprons. That innocence was immediately gone and immediately he was ashamed of his nakedness. Now, he had been with his wife all this time, never even noticed the fact that he was naked. All of a sudden it bothers him and now he gets religion. You see, he started the first fig leaf Baptist church trying to make his way to God saying, okay, I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to cover it up. And man's been doing the same thing ever since, trying to cover it up, right? How many times have you caught your kids with crumbs all over their face and crumbs all over the counter? Did you get in the cookie jar? No, not me. Trying to cover it up, right? Adam now got what he wanted. He now understood what sin is. He now understood evil. Adam died that day spiritually because beyond knowing he lost his innocence, when God came to him, instead of running to God, he runs and hides. As God came in the cool of the evening. Now, you ever think of this? I'm sitting there thinking, you know, Adam, the best you could have done is to pretend like nothing happened and still walk up when God came, right? But no, Adam is so fearful why? Because Adam knows he sinned. Adam knows he's wrong. And Adam also knows God already knows. So Adam tries to hide. But you know, after God pronounces this curse on Adam and Eve and the ground, this is the last time he had to meet God face to face. God no longer came and met with him in the cool of the evening. They no longer walked through the Garden of Eden. That fellowship he had with God was broken. It's gone. And every one of us since has been born 
a sinner separated from God. Every one of us since has inherited from Adam the sin nature. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But secondly, Adam to Adam, information withheld was more important than his innocence. The information God's withholding, whatever that is, that's going to make me more like God, that's more important than the why God created me. Satan said, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Insinuating God was holding something good from him, but it wasn't anything good. It was only evil. You know, I don't have to study the occult to understand it's bad. When I was in Bible college, we had to take a class on world religions. And some of it did get very in-depth on some of the occultic things and occultic practices and some of the world religions and some of the practices. And let me tell you something. You can ask my wife. I said I was much better off not knowing those things. There are some things that God wants us to be innocent of, Christian. I had a friend that was studying about the occult because he was going to preach a series on it, and it started giving him nightmares after a while. And it started really troubling his conscience, the things that he was learning, the things he was studying. And he was an evangelist, and he was spending a lot of time studying this. His wife finally came to him and said, it's time you give birth to that message and stop studying it. It's affecting you. And let me tell you something. You sit there and study sin, and it's going to start affecting you. God doesn't want us to know everything about sin. I'll give you another illustration. I have a friend who's now in glory. He was chief of police for many years. But when he was an investigator, he had a case that dealt with child pornography. And you do realize when a case like that is being investigated, somebody has to go through all the material that's been found. And so guess what his job as an investigator was? And he said, you know, it was very disgusting, the things that he had to look at and the things that he had to go through in order to build this case. He said, but I'm going to be honest with you. He and I were extremely close friends. He said, Jim, after several days of having to go through this material, he said, I had to catch myself because I started lusting and desiring. You see, he knew it was wicked. And he says, he says, I, I, I would put it away and I go to God and I, he said, I felt like I had to take a spiritual shower, a spiritual bath, and then I could come back to it with the right focus again. But you understand it started getting to him because he was studying this wickedness because it was part of his job. And he learned things he never wanted to have to know. Images that would, were, were, until the day he went to glory, were imprinted in his mind that he couldn't get rid of. You follow what I'm saying? There are things that we're better off not knowing. God knew that, and that's why he created Adam and Eve in that state of perfect innocence. And he, Adam said, that knowledge that you're holding from me is more important than the innocence I have. Let me tell you something. Learning about the wickedness of this world is not worth you losing your innocence. To Adam, companionship with Eve was more important than communion with God. His wife was deceived. He allowed this, this, this thing to happen. He watched it happen. And when his wife chose to eat of that fruit, he said, I desire to be with her more than I desire my communion with God. And was not the communion with God cut off. Too often we look at the temporal and not the eternal. We look at now and not tomorrow. We look at how this is going to satisfy me right now, but what about the consequences of tomorrow or the next generation? Or perhaps it could be said, the approval of Eve meant more to him than the approval of God. 
How often are we doing what we do for the approval of men as opposed to the approval of God? You see, Adam's focus was on the limited, not on the lasting. And as I said, we need to think, well, if I make this decision, where will that put me tomorrow? Where will that put me 10 years from now? Where will that put me in the next generation or the following generation? Where will it put them if I make this decision today? But you know what? Too often we don't make decisions that way. I already mentioned earlier, and now my mind's getting foggy. I don't remember if it was this service, the earlier service, but I was mentioned some of the legislation that the House and the Senate uh, is already doing. The House voted on a bill Wednesday, well, they did the second reading, and it's supposed to be voting on it the 7th, to legalize medical marijuana. They're going to be doing another bill that they want to legalize sports gambling. They're doing another bill that they want to expand Medicaid. And all these things by those that call themselves conservative. But let me tell you something. It's all about money. It's not about principle. It's all about what's convenient for me today, not what it's going to do to damage this state for this generation and the next. Because we got too many people that are concerned about me and concerned about now sitting in office and not enough people to think about what will this do to my children and grandchildren. But how often do we, in our decision-making, think of only today and not the lasting? Not thinking of eternity. Not thinking, does this please God? So let's look lastly at the consequences of its choice. You know, you can choose the sin, but you can't choose the consequences. God didn't come to Adam and say, okay, Adam, you sinned. How do you want me to judge you? There's actually only one time in Scripture I ever see God gave that man that choice, and that was David. What a choice that would have had to been, huh? What judgment do you want to choose? Whew. You know, we don't typically get to choose the judgment, do we? Adam made his choice, viewing convenience greater than the consequences, but let's talk about those consequences. First of all, he was promised there would be consequences. Go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That certainly sounds like God had already told him, Adam, you'd make this choice, and there's going to be consequences for that choice. You see, yes, we serve a loving God. Yes, we serve a God who, who is willing to save. Yes, we serve a God who is... is um, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we serve a holy God, and he's also a fair God, and he's told us that there is a judgment, and there is consequences to sin. And he told Adam, before he ever made the choice, if you choose to disobey me, Adam, there's going to be consequences to pay. So Adam could not look at God and say, you never told me so. And you and I would never be able to look at God and say, you didn't tell me so, because he's already told us the wages of sin is what? Death. But as I already mentioned, innocence was lost. He recognized his nakedness and tried to cover himself. He's trying to get his way back to God. He wanted to fix what he had broken. Men, let's be honest with ourselves. We have learned well from our father, Adam. We all try to fix the problem, don't we? You do realize many times, and I'm learning this the older I get, when women come to you with a problem, they don't always need you to fix the problem. They just need you to listen to the problem. When your wife comes to you, she's not coming because she expects you to be Mr. Fix-It and fix everything for her. Am I right, ladies? 
All right, I got a lot of amens, guys. You probably should listen because every one of us men are wired the exact same thing. When she comes to us, what's our initial reaction? How can I fix this? Is it not true, men? Come on, guys. Let's be honest today. Yep. (laughs) Adam now knew sin and evil. His eyes were open, not to anything good, but only to evil. His eyes were opened, not to anything good, but only to evil. Think of that. God had already endowed in him all this knowledge, all this good. There was nothing for Adam. I mean, you know, there was nothing good had God withheld from him. It was only the evil. So when his eyes were opened, it were open not to good, but to evil. Verse 8, Adam died. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. He no longer walked with God. He hid himself because he was now spiritually dead. Verses 12 and 13, we have blame shifting. Verse 12, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me. Adam literally blamed everybody in the entire world. He said, it's her fault and you created her. We still do the same thing today, don't we? Not my fault, somebody else's fault. So God turns to Eve. It's not my fault, it's the serpent's fault. And we've been blame shifting ever since. Never taking responsibility for our own actions. You know, it would have been better if Adam would have fessed up and said, you're right, God, I sinned against you. I made a choice. But not my fault. You created her after all. Look at this woman you made for me. Look what she did to me. But I want you to notice something else about the marriage relationship. There was a special oneness that was broken. Before verse 20, Chapter 3, verse 20. Show me anywhere the name Eve, and you can't. I'm going to read for you. You can flip over there. It's just a page over. Chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, and verse 2. Follow along as I read. Male and female created he them, and he blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when when they were created. There was such a oneness that before this time, she's called the woman, she's called the wife of Adam, but God said in Genesis 5, verse 2, they were called Adam. There was such a oneness in that marriage relationship, but in verse 20, and this is the significance of chapter 3, verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. That oneness they had was broken. Do you see that? Then we go back to chapter 3, verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shall thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So, women, this was the curse upon you, pain and childbearing. I've never born child. I'm not one of those men who think we can, although there's some out there. But I'm glad we don't because God said part of the curse is you have pain and childbearing. But there's also another part of that, and that is the man would be the head of the house because when it says, thy desire shall be to him, it's not talking about you're going to willfully follow your husband, but it's the fact that most of you women realize we men are knuckleheads, but God has designed that we are to be the head of the house. And when we don't listen to you and we make those big mistakes, 
you get to sit there and say, I told you so. No, I'm kidding. But the idea is that he did not place the woman as the head of the house, but the man. Verse 17, And Adam, he said, Behold, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat, eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. So the, gr- uh, the ground is cursed, and there's thorns and thistles that grow because of the curse. So that tells me, before that, we didn't have a problem with thorns and thistles. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, sometimes it's really like, thanks, Adam. <laughs> Verse 19, work became labor. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat of the bread till thou return of the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, and for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. You know, Adam worked before this. He labored before this, right? He did work because he was to keep the garden. So he was still doing work, but it wasn't labor. Have you ever noticed the things you enjoy doing can be very labor-intensive or or like work, but it's fun, so you don't feel like it's work? But when you go to work, it's work. What makes the difference? Part of the curse. God said your labor is going to be like work. No wonder we don't like to get up Monday mornings, because it's work. Work became labor. It's hard. Now, I love what I do. I can't believe I even get paid for it. I probably shouldn't say that because you all take my salary away, but no, don't do that. Then 19 and verse 21. In verse 19, God says, you are taken out of dust and to dust you're going to return. And then exemplified right before them because was there death in the earth up to this point? No. Verse 21, unto Adam... And also his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So God had to kill an animal before them in order to clothe them. Now this did several things. Number one, it showed them what physical death is. But God also was showing them the need for a blood sacrifice. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Then verses 22 through 24, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Now, I had you turn to Genesis 5. Let's go over to Genesis 5 for um, another moment, please. Genesis chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3 this time. So Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generation of Adam. And the day that God created man, and the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now, isn't that interesting? God said he created man in his image. But then in verse 3, it says Adam had a son in his image. Now, that's very important because... While the image of God was not removed from man, there is a new image that Adam gave to his son, that he gave to his son, that he gave to his son, all the way down to you, and that is spiritually dead. We are born spiritually dead. And we inherited that from Adam. You see, all of us inherited in Adam a deadness. 
Romans 5.12, whereby, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So we all inherited a sin nature, right? And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Now, let me read 1 Corinthians 15.22, and I'm going to talk a little bit of theology and hope not lose all of you in this. 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So now there's a a debate among theologians. So is Adam the federal head of humankind or is he the seminal head of humankind? And the answer is yes, he is. Now as the federal head of humankind, it means that Adam is a picture of what all of us would have done put in the same situation. In other words, if I were in the Garden of Eden, I would have made the same choice Adam did, right? So he pictures our headship in that aspect. But then there's also the seminal headship of that. Remember in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how the sons of Levi gave tithes when they were in the loins of Abraham, tithing to Melchizedek. Everybody remember that passage? Hopefully we get some nods. Okay, if you don't remember it, it's in the book of Hebrews, and I don't remember which chapter right off the top of my head, but for time's sake, I'm not going to turn there today, okay? You can look it up. But it talks about Levi giving tithes to Melchizedek because he was not born yet. He was still in the loins of Abraham. So in that aspect, every one of us was in Adam when he chose to sin. Thereby, I sinned too. Does that make sense? By the way, that is why the... Part of the reason why the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ is so important because he did not receive from a father a sin nature. Yet, in all this, so let me stop for just a minute. All of us plunged into sin. Everyone is born separated from God. The wickedness we see in this world today, even this protest that we're going to be having here in about two hours, is because of sin in this world that happened because of one man's choice, Adam. Now, as I said, we, yes, we would have all made the same choice. I get it. But the point is, is Adam made the choice, right? But in all this, God still showed his love and a promise of redemption. I skipped over verse 15 in chapter 3, so let's go back there for a moment. Let's go ahead and read verse 14 with it. And the Lord God said in the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, not between thee and the man, but between thee and the woman, because Jesus Christ was virgin born, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Real quickly, the heel of Christ was bruised on the cross of Calvary. Satan thought he had the victory when Jesus died. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he crushed the head of the serpent. 
You see, Satan is defeated because Jesus Christ did come and he gave his life on the cross of Calvary and Jesus Christ has provided a way of redemption and God signified this. He, 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 he first of all, prophesied of it in Genesis 3.15, but then in verse 20 and 21, he signifies it by doing an animal sacrifice there for Adam and Eve, showing them that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You do realize, even though Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, he still provided a way for them to come back to God, to have their sins forgiven, to be able to have a home in heaven still, even though Adam and Eve plunged all of mankind into sin, even though Adam made that choice, God still loved him enough to redeem him. Isn't that amazing? And God has provided redemption for every one of us. I am glad, despite the choice that was made and the lasting consequences of that choice, God still has provided a way of redemption through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And in that passage, Paul's comparing how in Adam we die, but in Christ we can have life. Because of the consequences of Adam's choice, you and I die. But you and I can have our sins forgiven and have life, not just life here on this earth, an abundant life, but we can have life eternal through Jesus Christ. And if you have not received Christ as Savior, I'd challenge you in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, and I would challenge you to make that choice to receive Jesus Christ. Because remember, life is choices. Choices have consequences, so make right choices. Adam chose convenience over the consequences. Let us think of the consequences of our choices. Let's bow for a word of prayer.